I made it. I made it. Thank the Lord I've dropped a few pounds over the last few months. <laughs> I probably believe Brenda would have said, I'll never come back to church again if, if you fall on your face here. Um, well, good morning. I did it. I did it. It's a good day. It's a good day to try that because it's going to be a great day. It, it can only go better. Right? <laughs> yeah, next Sunday is going to be great. Chi Alpha is going to have the whole service. I got to be in their last service last week before all the break took place. And uh, it was great to be with uh, Will and Josh and all you guys. Great service. I'm so excited about them having the entire service. Their praise team is going to be up here. Uh, Josh is going to preach. It's going to be a great day. Uh, like I said, they they're all went back to Arkansas, wherever they're, they're at, and they're on their way back. Um, welcome to December. 31 days left in 2019 and just that many days away from 2020. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? It is for me. Uh, today we're going to look at one of David's most defining moments. In fact, one of the greatest moments. We're going to be going to 1 Corinthians, I mean 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I believe that's the last chapter in 1 Chronicles. Um, David's life was a life of extremes. When he was up, he was really up. When he was down, he was really down. When he had great things happen, it was profound when he was at his lowest it was like profoundly do what you know the whole thing with Bathsheba and having Uriah killed and you know he's just like wow it's, it's bizarre but there he is you know he's 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 a man of extremes a man of great passion uh, accomplished musician has this absolutely unfettered love for God and uh God pulls him up out of the low points. He heals him, and he writes these enormously blessed songs of this extravagant worship. Um, how talented is he? I mean, he's like this military mind, this warrior, this fearless person who goes and takes on Goliath as a teenager. You know, he just and then he can play a music uh, instrument. That's just not fair for someone to be that talented. And yet he had this, this is how God described David, not anybody else. This is how God described David to Samuel. When Samuel went there and he saw the oldest of Jesse's boys, he's like, man, he looks like a king. And, and the Lord just spoke to him, none of these in this room are, are the one that is the one that I'm going to anoint to be the next king after Saul. And so Samuel Ask him, says, do you have any more? Well, yeah, we got a kid out there, a teenage kid. He's, a, he's the youngest of the family. He's tending to the sheep. He wasn't invited to this great meeting with the prophet. And, and the Lord spoke to Samuel and he said, that is, that is the king because I see in him a heart. You're looking on the outside of a person. I'm looking on the inside of a person. And he said this about David. It's a pretty good compliment coming from God. David is a man after my heart. Even as a teenager, he says, that, that kid loves me. That kid goes after me. And so for us to say we're going to look at one of the most uh, profound, one of the most extravagant places in David's life of worship, that's what you're going to find in First Chronicles 27. You know, David is, is nearing the end of his life. In fact, this chapter ends with David's death. But he has accomplished so much 
he has everything going for him. He's already picked Solomon through the, the, the wisdom of God as his one son to follow him as the king, uh, the next king. So he's not holding on to the kingship right to the very end. He's like, I'm preparing Solomon to take my place. And, and uh, in chapter 17, it's a great chapter to read in First Chronicles. David is talking to Nathan the prophet, and, and he says, you know what? I have this burning longing. I have this one thing on my bucket list. Here I am. I'm living in this enormously blessed palace, cedar walls. Just, it's just immaculate, and God's house is a tent. God's house is still that tent that Moses built. And this is what Nathan, if you, if you look over 17, this is what Nathan, Nathan says this to him. The Lord, whatever is in your heart, you go for it. You just go ahead and do whatever's in your heart. And Nathan goes home that night and, and, and either has a dream or a vision, but God comes to him and says, no, David is not going to build me a house. He's not going to build me a permanent structure. And this is why. He's a man of war. He's a warrior. He's killed people. He's got blood on his hands. He's not going to build it. In fact, I don't even know who I've even talked to about that I have even suggested that I'm tired of a tent. And he gives this long, like, who, who said that I want a permanent house? I haven't said that to anyone. This idea is not from me, but I tell you what. I'm going to go ahead and let Solomon build that house, and you go and you tell David. He goes the next day and tells David everything that God told him. And you would think that David would be disappointed, depressed. Of course, this is my burning desires to build God a house that here I'm living in this beautiful house. There's a tent down there. In fact, David was so tired of that portable tabernacle, and you can check this out, he wanted the presence of God to be in Jerusalem, not down in Gibeon. That's where the tabernacle was, was last put. That's where, all, that's where the brazen altar was. That's where everything was at. The Holy of Holies is always there. And David wanted the presence of God, get this, so much in Jerusalem that he ordered the Ark of the Covenant to be taken out of the holy place and brought to Jerusalem to a building that he prepared for it. Now, that is kind of an odd thing when you think about it. So what are they doing with the tabernacle down in Gibeon if the Ark of the Covenants are there? But David makes one of his critical mistakes in his haste to get the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem he orders it to be put on an ox cart, and as it's coming up toward Jerusalem, the oxen stumble, and one of the attendings on this that's accompanying this treasure reaches out to steady the Ark of the Covenant, and you know what happens. He's immediately killed by touching something that no human hand was supposed to touch. Not even the priest was supposed to touch it. Nobody touched it. Even on the day the, that they went in on the Day of Atonement and they... And the high priest would be, he never touched the ark. He would sprinkle it, sprinkle water and sprinkle blood on it, but he would never touch it. They were never to touch it. And the only way they carried it, they were supposed to carry it, was through these gold-plated poles through rings on both sides. And the priest would put those poles on their shoulders and they would carry it that way. They were not even supposed to touch it. And so when that happens, the, the procession just stops right there. It stays in this person's residence for a while. Until David, you know, goes back to the protocol, says, listen, I made a big mistake. We were doing this the wrong way. The priests are supposed to bring it. So the priests later brought the Ark of the Covenant. So here's David's longing 
this one burning desire. I want to build a permanent house in Jerusalem for the Ark of the Covenant and for the presence of God to be here. So that brings me to this chapter, chapter 29. And I'm going to begin with verse 1. So if you're there, here's David, here's David announcing to the people the plans, okay? It's already set. Everything's already done. Solomon's going to be the one to build it. He's accepted that. He hasn't bemoaned the fact. In fact, if you read the rest from about verse 16 all the way through the end of 17, David, instead of being disappointed, he starts just praising God. He just worships the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for who am I and who are the people that I lead that you would do this, that you would honor my request that way. It wasn't like, I wish you'd let me do it. But it's like, you know all things, I accept that, I praise you, I worship you. And so here's David announcing to the people. The whole assembly says, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure, the temple, is not for men but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx for settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, all kinds of fine stone, marble, all these in large quantities. Besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls. How about that for wallpaper? For the gold work, for the silver work, for all the work to be done by the craftsmen, now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? So while David is not the one to build this temple, he goes all out in providing the resources to build it. He's not going to see the footing dug on this. He's not going to witness it at all himself. And yet he is so excited that this day is, has arrived. And he's telling the people, I have I've emptied my treasure. In fact, there's some who suggest that he gave everything that he had, all of his reserves, when you read this. And David is the one who says... And I'm going to tell you what I gave. This is David, right? David is personal in every way. When he's wrong, he's open about it. When he's depressed, he's open about it. That's why so many people love the Psalms. You read the Psalms, it's going to fit your day. <laughs> Just keep reading. He's like, well, at least David was depressed too. So I'm not the only one that gets depressed. But he so personally says, I'm giving this. And this is his style. So here's the first principle of extravagant worship. And even though this is an offering day and a debt retirement day, it is all about worship. And I think you'll see that in just a moment. Here's the first principle of extravagant worship. Leaders lead. Leaders always lead the way. David opens his own resources and he gives all of this to the palace that, or to the temple that's going to be built. He has his own palace, but he's, he's still going to be king, right? If he, if he empties his saving account, he's, he's not in too bad a shape. He's still the king. He still lives in his palace, and, you know, he's, he's going to be taken care of. And he's taken care of right to the, the end of his days. 
But he's like emptying his resources, emptying his storehouse. And get the gist of how he, he worships the Lord here with this. If you're reading a different translation, like the New Living Translation, it's going to give you quantities of this that we understand, not talents. I'm picking this up at the latter part of verse 3. And I think it might be on the screen. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold. That is not a slip of speech. This is him. I am donating 112 tons of gold from Ophir, 262 tons of silver, refined silver, to be used for the overlaying of the walls of the building, and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? We don't think this way. This is outside of how we think. And, and if you did a little bit of research on this, you'll find the equivalency of what David gave in today's dollars is going to be somewhere around $867 million. Almost a trillion dollars that he donated. He emptied, he emptied his resources. Leaders lead not just by instruction, but by example. And, and he was like, it's a great day. I've given everything I've, I've kept back. It's for the Lord. It's not for me. It's for the Lord. Today is, I want to tell you, today's already a success. When I woke up and I felt really good, that, that, that's a successful day, right? And there's people, there's Leon Claves recovering from a hip replacement surgery. He would love to be here today. Carrie would love to be here recovering from uh, colon surgery and, and abdominal surgery. And Raymond Giles is waiting for a heart cath at DCH in the morning. He would rather be here today. So if we're here today, it's already a good day because we're able to be here. But listen to this second principle of extravagant worship. It is what I call the willingness principle. Now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Who is willing to join me in giving away their fortune? And he's like, there's no pressure here. There's no coercion. Coercion. Who else is willing to do what I did? And he said, I'm the leader. You, can't, you don't have the resources I have. It's okay. It doesn't matter what you have, but who is willing to kind of do this? Is that a fair challenge? And it's like, it, it doesn't matter. I don't want you to be pressured to do anything. But who is willing to do this? And someone described that the Hebrew is a little interesting here. He's really saying, who is willing to fill his hand to the Lord, to Yahweh this day? Who is willing to put a fullness in his hand to offer it to God? It's kind of like a word picture when we lift our hands to the Lord. Imagine this, holding up an empty cup to the Lord, asking him to fill it. We do that a lot, don't we? Fill my cup, Lord. We've got a song for that. You know, fill me up, Lord. Fill, fill my life up with your presence. Fill my life up with healing. Fill my life up with peace and, and direction and wisdom. But get this. David is kind of like using this word in a way that says, I'm, I'm holding up hands that are full to be emptied out for your benefit, oh God. Whatever you want this to work, it's for you. And we're going to stop right here. And we're going to ask our ushers to come up. 
I jumped up on the platform because it's going to be a different service. And I already told a few people that I was going to try it, so I was too chicken to back out. So I was like, the praise team was like, you chickened out, didn't you? We're going, we're going to take up an offering. We're going to pray. But here's, I've already, I told everybody out there, the security team, everyone this. So this is for everybody. If you're close enough, you probably see a packet in the pews, in the chairs in front of you that's got offering envelopes, right? Just take one. Doesn't matter if you're going to do anything with it. Just take one. Just hold it. Just look at it. Write, I love you, Jesus, on it. How's that? So, some of you pay and give and your offerings through push pay. That's what, through the church app, that's what we do. It's easy, it's quick. Was using bill pay, it's a direct check from the bank. So if you do that, we're going to get a count of what comes in today. And so we're going to put all of this on an envelope. If you're doing push pay, just mark down at the bottom on that left-hand corner underneath the bottom where it says love offering, put debt retirement, or just put it where the love offering is, and we'll know it's for debt retirement. And what you're sending in push pay, what you sent the bank to send to here, but if, if you're giving by envelope, you've already marked it. And, you know, when we pray, when we pray and ask God to speak to us, he may speak something different to you. And if he does that, on the bottom right, right down and before the end of the year, I believe God's going to enable me to give this much. How many of you want to hear from God? Don't do it like when he began to deal with me about going into the ministry because I would do this. La, 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 la. I was like, no, I can't be hearing that. No, I can't do that. I don't even like getting up in front of people. I can't get up in front of people. That's what we do. No, I must be hearing somebody else's message here. But the one thing that God will do is he will speak and he will just keep speaking because his last principle is going to just make sense. I want us to bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord, everything that we have, we can't really claim it to our talents, to our ability. Because you're the one who gives us health. You're the one who creates us with the capacities that we have. You made us, you shaped us, you molded us, and really you made us for one major purpose, and that was to worship you. It was to honor you and love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and body. And we just want to do your bidding. We want to have your mind. We want to have your truth residing in us. We want to know what you're saying. And we want to honor the sacrifice of all of those in the generations prior that gave and built this building that worked here at night under the lights of automobiles and Lord we just pray that we would honor you today in this offering in Jesus name amen God bless you as you give as we worship the King We are in His presence tonight. 
Clint Brown. I listen to it, but it's about two times louder than that. You can have a good old time in this sanctuary when it's just you and the Lord and Clint Brown. So he says, the people rejoice. This is verse 9. The people rejoice. The people started giving too. It just kind of like was a contagion that went out from David. He's the leader. He, they see what he's giving and he tells them what he's giving. Really, th this was such an exciting day for me because I couldn't wait to make out my offering because this is the largest gift I've ever written out. And Brenda's starting to get nervous, like, well, oh, what did he do? But it's like, it doesn't belong to us anyway. This is the third principle. It's called ownership. And David says again and again in this chapter, his prayer begins in verse 10. And if you take verse 10 through the rest of his prayer, you'll see David's attitude about life. You'll see his philosophy of life, why he was able to worship the Lord like he did. Because he understood the bottom line. I don't know if we understand the bottom line. But here's verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. He was, he was out there being a worship man. Not just a worship leader, he was a worshiper. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Is that pretty good stuff? What would you call that? That's worship. He, he's bringing out all the words deep within him that expresses who God is to him. This is why God says, I see the heart of that kid. He loves me. He's after me. He, he honors me. And this is David. He's, he's near the end of his life here. He doesn't have many days left, many months left. And he's worshiped the Lord. But watch what happens after splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Now, do you believe that? Do we really believe that? Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. I call this kind of unfettered worship. This is uh, extravagant worship, this exaltation. And this is how David sees life. He sees life in this prism. Everything belongs to God. Everything I had really wasn't mine. It was God's. So for me, giving it to him was not really me giving it to him. And he says that later on. Human nature, this is, do you realize what we're doing today is opposite of human nature? Human nature, I'll tell you what human nature looks like. 
Watch the news of Black Friday stuff. Watch people duking it out over a television. And people throwing stuff across the counter to their comrades in action, I guess. You know, what, what, what is that? I'm telling you what, this is opposite of that. Because as soon as a child begins to talk, probably, you know, as dads, we want it to be da-da or something close to it. It doesn't matter if it sounds like daddy. It's like he or she said me first. But most of them are going to go mama, right? And the next word, what is maybe the next word they're going to really find very good? It's the word no. Because they hear it so much. They learn that no. No. They got it down, No. But it's not long that their most favorite word is coming. Mine. See, you see how I said it? I said it just like this. Mine. That's mine. They can have 30 toys around them, and one little visiting child can want to play with one, but they're all mine. Mine. They don't want to share anything. It's possessive. It's mine. It's mine. And we look at our stuff. It's just my stuff. Sometimes couples who both work, they even refer to their my money and your money instead of our money, but it really is God's money. It's God's. And if anything reveals that to you, is that it's all transitory because the minute we breathe our last breath, we own zero. We don't own a thing. He said, well, it's going to go to someone else, and it's going to go to someone else, and it's going to go to someone else. I knew someone who inherited a, a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000, when her parents, who had a, a furniture business, finally passed away. She had no idea she was going to get $250,000. Nobody, I wasn't pastoring this church, it somewhere else, okay? I had no idea that they got that much money until they came about two years after she had that money and they were on the verge of losing their house because it was her money and she wouldn't let her husband give her any advice about her money and she invested in a trucking business which she knew nothing about trucking business you know, all you need to do is a friend or two to hear you got a quarter of a million dollars, and they will suggest to you that I will drive a truck for you if you'll start a trucking business. Not only that, they borrowed money against other stuff and put their house in jeopardy. And when Anthony and Mitzi showed up in my office, you know what the argument was over? He says, I've drawn the line in the sand that we will not shut off our cable television. She blew a quarter of a million dollars, wouldn't listen to me, and I am not turning the cable off. Brenda says I attract those kind of people to me. But I thought about the faithfulness of her parents. It's all gone. And whatever you leave... You have no idea what's going to be done with it. So give it to God. How's that? No, I'm serious. We, human nature is that we hold on. And this is David. David is such an interesting guy because, 
You see Solomon holding on to the end. You see Rehoboam holding on. They want to be the king. They want to be the king to the last breath. And here's David said, Solomon's already going to be my guy. I'm already getting him ready. He's going to build this. And David said, I'm emptying all my savings account. I'm going to give it all because really it's not mine. Look at verse 13. Now our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. For who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. Everything comes from you and what we have given you, only what comes from your hand. Everything comes from you and we have given you only what really you gave us. This is what someone said to me about going on to Friday nights and being with my mom and, and uh, you know, for Friday, every Friday night for eight years. That was my night to take care of her. And someone said, well, you know, it's almost like they were you praying for her to go on to be with the Lord. I was just praying for the mercy of God. But that wasn't a burden. It's probably more of a burden on Brenda that Friday, every Friday night, you know, sometimes she'd go with me. But, but here's, what, here's how I looked at that. I was just returning. I was, I was giving back what was given to me. And, and if I was there every night, my brother usually took three to four nights because he lived next door. And we started asking him, so you want us to come and, you know, take another night? And he said, no. Listen, if I stayed seven nights a week, I could never return to that woman what I put her through. Oh, my yeah. He said, so what I get to do, I get to do because it's just giving back what she gave to me. And I think that... I think probably a lot of people would have trouble doing what David did. Because we want to live comfortably when we can't work a job. I'm telling you what, I'm only, I'm less than 14 months away from turning 70. And if I'm still here, I'm going to jump up on this platform again when I'm 70. If you watch. But I want to tell you, why would, why would we accumulate just to leave it? For the uncertainty. Is that a fair question? Listen to what, and, and, and I want to ask the praise team to come up. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm going to read 15, 16, 17. Just read. Could, could I just encourage you to go home and read First Chronicles 17 and 29, the whole thing? Every time I read it, I saw something. I saw something. I can read it again. I see something. I see a phrase. I see... You know, these principles, this ownership principle, God owns everything. I used to tell Jason, son, you stumble into favor more than some people do intentionally. Every time that kid was around, I mean, who gets to be a manager for Alabama's football team when Sean Alexander is one of the guys he's talking to in the locker room? It's like it's not a big deal. And he calls me on a Sunday afternoon. He says, guess where I'm at? I says, I have no idea where you're at. He was stationed at Fort Gordon in Augusta, Georgia. He said, what golf tournament is going on this week? I said, the Masters. Are you at the Masters? Yeah, some guy gave me his Sunday ticket. I said, are you kidding me? And he goes out to language school, runs into a CBS tech guy and a... Laundry, you know, uh, 
laundromat. Thank you. And he starts talking to him, and he said, you know, sometimes we get the military, we get people off the Presidio Monterey base to help us uh, with volunteer work. He said, what kind of work? He said, sometimes you're spotters. He said, can I do that? He said, sure. So Jason was at Pebble Beach spotting for a foursome the year that Phil Mickelson won. I said, who does that? Who does that? Just a favor followed him. But listen to what he says. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight. He says, people, people dismiss us as we're all our ancestors. Ours, our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. David wasn't playing on people's emotions. I tell you what, if you want to get played, if you want your emotion played, just watch Christian television. I, I, I think the Lord just delivered me completely from buying a year of food. From people saying you're not going to be able, that's not Y2K, your car's not going to crank and computer's not going to work. David wasn't pulling people's emotions here. This, this, is, this is, I'm just honest. I'm giving everything I've got to something I want to see done. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. And according to the total, we're going to knock about $22,000 off our debt. altar calls for people who need prayer I have a copy of D.L. Moody's biography written by his son printed I think in 1901 an original copy it's in amazing good shape read it through October the 8th 1871 D.L. Moody's turning point in his life ministry-wise. Already built a great church, what is now Moody Bible Institute, Bible College, Bible University. Had all kinds of ministry going on, preaching all over the world. And it was a Sunday night, October the 8th, 1871. And near the end of that service, fire bells started going off outside the church. And you know, fire was, had been started turned out to be the great Chicago fire. It would burn out finally on Tuesday. 300 people lost their lives. D.L. Moody was so pressed that night, he told people, we're, we're going to go ahead and you need to get, get out and get your family to a safe place. And if you're really uh, considering a decision for the Lord, you know, give it a lot of prayer this week. And next week, we'll give you that opportunity. Well, the building they were in was no more. And a bunch of the people that was in that service that night were killed. 
And this is what he said. He said, I've never since dared to give an audience a week to think of their salvation. If they were lost, they might rise up in judgment against me. I have never seen that congregation since. I will never meet those people until I meet them in another world. But I want to tell you of one lesson that I learned that night, which I have never forgotten. And that is when I preach, to preach Christ upon the people then and there and try to bring them to a decision on the spot. I would rather have that right hand cut off than to give an audience a week now to decide what to do with Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are in this room. They need, they need to get past something. They need to be healed. They need to be, they need to have wisdom for a decision. Or they need to settle who's going to be Lord of their life. Nobody graduates into salvation. No one gets into the kingdom of God because of parents. We all must give an account that you died on the cross and was raised from the dead for our salvation. If there's anyone in this room that hasn't really solidified that, may they do so this morning, Lord. Whatever the future is for this building, we believe it, that you want it to be debt-free. We don't ever want it to be free of altar calls, of moments that give people a chance to turn to you, to seek you. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to, sir, ma'am, if, if you have a, a pressure point on you now that you need the Lord to come and help you, it might be for salvation, it might be some other things that's going on, some dis things that's just totally disrupting your life. I don't want to conclude this without asking you to come and let God do something in your heart. So come now if that's you. And let God do something today in your life. County football game. I was there because Vincent, my old high school, was playing. Pickens County. Went all the way up there, sat with the guy that played quarterback on the team that I played, Vincent Harold Garrett. Right before halftime, there was a kickoff. All of a sudden, everything stopped. And on Pickens County's side was a player on his back. And they were tending to him. Ambulance arrived. You see him do chest compressions on him. About 6'2, 
245 pounds, playing great defense for Pickens County. Went into cardiac arrest and found out that the game just stopped. They just said, they knew, we knew that he had passed away just by the way they were working. 18 years of age. None of us are permanent. And if any of us are not where we need to be, we need to do something today, not tomorrow. Today's the day to do it. Right where you're at, you don't, you don't have to come down here, but right where you're at, you need to make a decision right where you're at. Either you're going to follow Jesus or not follow him. You're either going to confess him or not confess him. I had a young man in my office for an hour and a half telling me he was agnostic. He wasn't agnostic. He just couldn't figure out some things. But my bottom line is you believe he either died and rose again or you don't believe it. You can question whatever you want to in the Bible, but it comes down to this. He either died for you and was raised from the dead or he didn't. It's all a sham. It's all a, a fake story. But look at the thousands and millions of people that have been changed by that truth. Not because they were medicated to get out of their addictions. It's because the power of God delivered them. And it comes down to Him. It comes down to Him. He can believe it or not believe it. Lord, I pray this morning for those who are in a, they're at a crossroads in their life. And they believe that, but they're just hesitant to go for it because they don't want to fail. They won't, don't want to mess up. But let them know that grace is the net underneath the highway.